0: I'm Alexandra Katahakis, Clinical Director of the Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles, and today my guest is Catherine Woodward Thomas. Um, Catherine is most known for her book, Conscious Uncoupling, which is a New York Times bestseller, um, and her other book, Calling in the One, which predated Conscious Uncoupling. So today, Catherine and I talk about what it means to actually end a relationship with your sense of self intact, coming from a place of loving-kindness and what's really in the best interest interest of um, not just yourself, but also the partner that you're uncoupling from, and more importantly, when you have children, how to keep your family intact while also saying goodbye to the other, and in her words, living happily even after. So stay tuned. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Catherine today. When I um, think we were last in contact, this book, Calling in the One, had just come out, mm-hmm. right? And this book became wildly popular, and I know a lot of my clients loved it and still use it. I mean, I had somebody write to me recently and say, I just used this book, it's amazing. Um, do you know about it? And I said I happen to know about but there's
1: it. There's something funny to that story because we were actually calling in the one at the same time. Do that's right. We were yes, friends. That's right. So when I was like creating that process, uh-huh. we
0: were kind of together. We then. were, yeah. So that's <laughs> that is kind of funny, right? Because we got both got married at the same time. We did. Um, So anyway, that's when we last had contact, and yes. then subsequent to that, you wrote this book, which has become also wildly popular, which is. Um, conscious uncoupling, yeah, right?
1: Which Gwyneth popped into the lexicon. Yeah.
0: Um, so that was quite um, an amazing sort of, I think, spontaneous moment. Or yeah. is, was it spontaneous, or do you think it was just time in the culture? Um, for people uh, to hear this message. Uh, it
1: was really, the, the culture was pregnant for that message.
0: Mm-hmm. How so? so how do you mean, uh, what do you mean by that? Well,
1: I mean, divorce is such an antagonistic process. I mean, you have the biology of what happens in your body that kind of um, predisposes us to hostility and yeah. anger, uh. which I have a theory about. I think that um, nature has so designed us to bond with each other mm-hmm. that um, nature kind of tricks us to stay bonded through hate.
0: Wow. So
1: rather than you know just really letting someone go, mm-hmm. wishing them well on their journey, right, yeah. <laughs> we stay very engaged, and we can do that
0: for years. And do you think that's because the attachment system is really assaulted? I mean, when we lose somebody, it's so physically painful because mm-hmm. we register physical pain in the brain and the nervous system. Yeah,
1: but- yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, the studies show that that um, rejection people who are undergoing a breakup and feeling rejected have the same brain patterns as someone who's undergoing the death of a loved one.
0: Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's
1: a big trauma. right? And for many people, I think it's the biggest trauma they'll ever go through. And uh, so the reason I wrote Conscious Uncoupling, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I wrote it, which we'll get into, but um, one of the main reasons is to really help people to get through that time in a way where they don't kind of get overwhelmed by the trauma and start acting out of that primitive part of themselves Uh, and then create messes that sometimes aren't ever, you know, able to be cleaned up.
0: Right, because I think, yeah, the hurt is so great, and I've seen plenty of people that stay in relationship with their exes for decades out Mm -hmm. of anger. Like they hate them until the day they die. That's the negative
1: bond. Right. That's the negative bond. And
0: so by breaking that bond, well first of all, let's talk about how you advise people to break the bond.
1: Okay. Well, um, there's a whole five step process that I really lay out in conscious uncoupling because I think it's such an inorganic and even a relatively new um, art, the art of conscious separation. And that that's very very much about our time. And we have to look at the history of that because you know, just how mobile our society is, is right. just a hundred years you know, it used to be we all lived in, you know, little tribes of 100 people or mm-hmm. 400 people or something, and we died before we were 40, so, you know, the extra lifespan that we're living, um, the happily ever after myth, by the way, was only created about 400 years ago because... <laughs>
0: it's good to know, right? 400
1: years, right? Yeah. And and so this ideal of life, love that lasts a lifetime, which has become the expectation that we hold ourselves in each other too. right? And that's the shame that's in a breakup. Mm-hmm. People go into such a sense of failure about it. So I like to look at the larger perspective, and you know the divorce revolution in this country yeah. also, which was unleashed by Ronald Reagan in California. Uh-huh. He, called, he, when he When he signed No Fault Divorce, he called it the biggest mistake of his political career wow, decades right. later, because yeah. it kind of unleashed Sure. You know, just tornado of divorces, and of course, nobody knew how to do that well. So you have all these kids that got caught, you know, caught in the crossfire,
0: because
1: nobody understood about what's happening in the brain or the biology, right? Or the
0: families, or the children, yeah.
1: And the legal system kind of took over divorce, and the legal system is is an antagonistic system. Mm -hmm. It's a right wrong system. So, um, I mean, I know that there's a lot of attorneys now in the last, you know, yeah. decade or, yeah. or so who've been really, really advocating and pioneering right. a new way
0: to do it, but yeah. they're still the minority. They are. There are specific um, family divorce lawyers that are really putting families first and, and looking at that hostility. I
1: love that. Yeah,
0: me too. I love
1: that. I'm so moved by that. Yeah, attorneys,
0: and right. I think that is refreshing to hear. But I also yeah. heard about three or four years ago that the divorce statistic in California was at 75%. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this was quite a while ago. I think it was 2013, 14, something like that. It hit a new high. That's crazy. And I think you're right. With the no fault, all of a sudden, it was just a free-for-all. It's like at-will employment. You can just come and go as you please.
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that are kind of creating that dynamic, one of which is our our expectations that's kind of fed to us inside of the happily ever after myth that we're just going to find the right one and happily ever after, after yeah. and we don't really know how to, what to do with each other once we have each other.
0: But don't you think that when people died at 40, that that sort of made sense, because it was a contracted lifespan well, together? So let me.
1: so the conditions that that myth came out of is that the lifespan was not just 40, but it was... It was that low, partially, because half of the children were dying before they were 16.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Okay? So, I say that it's, it was, in, in that universe, it's really good to have two parents in the home mm-hmm. to give the children a better chance of survival. Sure. So, you have to see every meme that comes out that we're living into, right. that we con- consider you know sacred and holy,
0: mm-hmm. as,
1: as emergent out of the, the cultural constructs of the time. What right. were people struggling with? What were they dealing with? Um, there's also another interesting fact about what, what prompted the Happily Ever After myth was that there was a law on the books that prevented a noble person from marrying a commoner. Oh. So there was no upward mobility. Mm-hmm. If you were born poor, you were definitely going to die poor. There was no hope they were mm. getting out. So people went into these escapist fantasies that they're going to marry oh. a noble person. Yeah. And then, and because you notice in the myth everybody gets lifted out of poverty Cinderella. Eh? and 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 they all lived happily ever after mm-hmm. So once you start to see these cultural constructs as means, then you start to question, like, okay, but, you know, so we're all feeling ashamed of ourselves. Right. We're all feeling terribly guilty. We've done this horrible thing. We left our husband. We yeah. did this horrible thing. So inside of that shame, you and I know that shame stunts growth. If you get stuck in shame, That's right. you're not doing anything but, you know, going around and around and around that shame loop. You're defending against shame. Mm-hmm. You're, like, you know, clawing well, in shame. Yeah,
0: Diana Fosha calls it a barrier affect, yeah, because it really it does, you know, everything's underneath shame. You can't feel anything else.
1: Yeah. So I'm most known for calling in the one, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what, what what we were working on right. together. <laughs> and, uh, and I had a, a great, happy, ever after story, because mm-hmm. I married this wonderful man. I called in this wonderful man. And... Uh, I had a baby at 43 right. then I wrote a book about it and it became a national bestseller mm-hmm. and all these people were coming to me to learn right. how to do it and it really does work and they were having success and sure. all that stuff. So when we actually, you know, announced our divorce 10 years later, I was pretty horrified. Of
0: course. I mean yeah. it was
1: it was I didn't know if my career was over, mm. it was a social embarrassment. Sure. Yeah. I and I had that mm-hmm. moment where I took off my wedding ring and I felt so vulnerable, but I saw that I also felt inferior,
0: mm, and yeah. I was like,
1: what is that, because that's not just me.
0: Sure, because inferior to whom?
1: Yeah, inferior to yeah. who? To the ideal. Of course. To the yeah. ideal. And so I began to, that's what initiated, say, my my inquiry into, well, whose standard am I holding myself accountable to? Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm actually, at the time, was feeling really proud of how we were handling it, both Mark and I came from um, homes where our our parents were divorced were on, and we both suffered from parental alienation. Mm-hmm. So I lost connection with my father, and he lost connection with his mother when he was just a baby. I see. So we had that in common, and that we were able to join upon um, a shared commitment that we were going to find a new way, and we began to relate to this idea that children are damaged by divorce Mm -hmm. as a lack of creativity. Hmm. That's nice. (laughs) And so we just got into this inquiry, like, what would it look like to have a happy post-divorce family so our daughter can have a happy childhood? Right. And, um, And it was really because we were able to kind of create that as our North Star and then just one moment at a time find our way to that future mm-hmm. that, that was kind of how conscious uncoupling I
0: see was created right. so, so you really held yourselves to a higher standard and also it sounds like your main directive is what is in the best interest of our daughter yeah. so putting aside our own petty, petty grievances or hurts and anger um, and really seeing how we can steer this in a healthy productive way for her and then ultimately for the two of you, too
1: Well, and I think it's important. I mean that that's true for anyone who is a child with Someone and even if the other person doesn't want to participate and you're doing it alone it mm-hmm. can have a big impact on how that goes just one person. I would think so. Yeah, but um, but also uh, really anybody who has a bad breakup you know, it's very easy to go on and live a compromised life after that breakup. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've met a lot of people who haven't dated for ten years, right? Or yeah, twenty years, and it just never opened up again. And um, so, I mean, conscious uncoupling is really about how can we how can we go through this shattering in a way that wakes us up mm-hmm. and that enhances our capacity to love and be loved in the future, as That's opposed to dims us down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's beautiful to see it as a um, a way of facilitating personal growth and development as a way of collapsing really into victimhood, like this has been done to me and I've been hurt so badly and I'm never going to trust another man or woman again. Exactly. It's just where we go. So, I mean, yeah. in, in terms of that,
1: um, this, the, the first step of conscious uncoupling is finding emotional freedom and we can mm-hmm. come back and flesh it out if you want what's in that, But but this is the second step. Um, It's about reclaiming your power, which always has to do with self-responsibility, right? But it's hard for us because we're fixated on the other person and then of course we have biology pulling on us to hate that other person Mm -hmm. so um, You know, it's it's just kind of human to go into a litany of how Badly you were treated and what the other person did that they shouldn't have done, you know so um, what I like to say is that even if it was 97% the other person's fault. Right. You want to look at your three percent. Yeah. Right. Because because it's really in that three percent that we can get our lives. And mm-hmm. and until you get the three percent like I skipped over the red flags or I dismissed my inner knowing or I didn't share my feelings and needs or I was sourcing my value from giving too much, you know, all of those ways that we show up right. That look like we're being loving people but are actually somewhat codependent and unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just survival strategies that we learned when we were young, and they cost us. And until we learn to do that differently, we know exactly what that is, we cannot trust ourselves to move forward and not do it again. So it's not that women don't trust men or you know, men don't trust men. It's not that we can't trust other people. And it's not that we can't trust love. We can't trust ourselves to keep ourselves safe. And it's important to be able to name that and see that clearly.
0: That's really, I I love that because um, there is that thing about, um, you know, it was done to me. As opposed to maybe I just didn't know any better either. Maybe I was 23 or 24 when I married this person or now I'm 54. And I just, there was no way to know then what you know now, and you know, every decade's a different, we're different human beings along the way. So self-compassion feels like a big part of this, in in this, uh, in addition to taking responsibility for oneself. So, as you say, you can learn about yourself and use this as a crucible or a window in which to grow. Um, And our lessons come in all different forms. We never know whether it's coming through the divorce or, um, you know, death of a parent or, loss of a home or we just don't know what it form it's I've going had to come people in. do
1: the conscious uncoupling process because they moved from a city they loved. And they oh that's so nice. That. Yeah, they could say goodbye, right? Yeah, they just they were dreaming about it. Yeah.
0: So. so this dreaming also keeps striking me because of course I work with sex and love addiction and I was yeah. thinking about, well wow, that sounds like the genesis of love addiction. Um, This idea that now everybody was going to be upwardly mobile. Everybody was going to have this prince that Cinderella had Um, And that's what I see a lot in females that struggle with relationship is that they are looking for the one and It's loaded with this happily ever after mythology Um, And it's really difficult if we're talking about gender binary split for you know heterosexual men to kind of live up to that ideal when they're being constructed in a way that maybe isn't truly who they are, it's just a fantasy of who the other has of them.
1: I know, and it's a really big issue what you're talking about because um, we all women now want conscious men. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Conscious men. But if you think about how you became a conscious person, mm-hmm. or I think about how I did, like I know that there's are unconscious parents. men. <laughs> right. <laughs> we need those unconscious men. <laughs> Wasn't quite where I was going. Okay, that's where I (laughs) was. was. (laughs) I'm just thinking of the time I took off from working. Oh, yeah. Like, I had two periods where I didn't work for a year Mm -hmm. and I didn't have much.
0: I think I remember that. But it didn't matter because I was
1: studying and I was meditating and I was running off to a seminar Uh in the back of the room volunteering so I didn't have to pay for it. Right. Like, all sorts of things to become a conscious person. Right, yeah. You know, but then we also have this double standard because we still want men to fulfill on that upwardly mobile thing. Yeah. So we have this, you know, we have this double standard for men, and they're kind of locked in, like the damned if they do, and they damned if they yeah. don't. So I just was, I had lunch with a man who's a dating coach, mm-hmm. um, Jonathan Aslay, and he was telling me that what he tells women is, you know, men are biologically predisposed we have this primitive impulse to sleep with every woman yeah right but we manage to curb that to be with you to choose you right and maybe you need to relate to your desire to be taken care of by mm-hmm. every man the in, this, same in much way. the same way i love that i know i thought it was great yeah it is
0: because you know there are arguments that we really are not monogamous creatures that we choose fidelity that we choose monogamy because many people are now choosing consensual non-monogamy. Yeah. Um so I think for women to to curb that impulse also, but because it's really a very um I don't want infantile is not the right word, but it's more childish and childlike yeah. that I have to be rescued or taken care of. That I there's a learned helplessness I think embedded in the culture also which is a mixed message and double bind that women get.
1: Well, and I think it's also a self-esteem thing. If I was a really valuable woman, mm-hmm. then someone would come take care of me. Oh, I see, you know, right. You know, we have that tied up in that, too. Yeah. But it's interesting, as we're talking about the, the, the process of becoming conscious, and it's not necessarily to give in and act out our primitive impulses, which is you know all about conscious uncoupling, because mm-hmm. all of us will have a very primitive impulse to hurt somebody, to get revenge, I don't care how spiritual you are, you know, you still want to throw all of his clothes on the front lawn Mm -hmm. and pour bleach on them, like, you still want to do it, so, like, what do you do with that anger, and so, in, in conscious uncoupling, what I'm suggesting people do with that anger is to turn it into, turn the negative impulse to be destructive into the, the positive impulse towards change. Right. So you take the energy that's waking up, that's mm-hmm. inherent in that, which is basically that I need to be treated a certain way, sure. and, and I need to be valued, and I have a right to be respected, and right. I have a right for someone to tell me the truth. And then you turn that into an intention that you set, and mm-hmm. you put all of that energy behind that intention mm. from this moment forward. Right. Relationships are going to be mutual, I'm Um, not going to try and give for both of us. Right. I'm going to have the kind of integrity that I deserve to have in all of my relationships. So really
0: putting it into action, taking action with that, um, the velocity of that anger.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then that moves into this inquiry, how am I the source? And I love that you said... You said something about compassion, that we need a lot of compassion. Self-compassion, yeah. A lot of compassion. Yeah. In, in step two also, I talk about this idea about how hard it is for us to self-reflect on ourselves as the source sometimes because we go into shame so quickly. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, we all know that moment where you go, oh, how could I be so stupid? Right, you know, yeah. like, Oh, I can't believe I did that again. What is wrong with me? Like, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the mantra. And right? then we get stuck there, right? Yeah. So, so the ability to self-reflect has to start with this self-compassion and just, you know, deep, deep wells of acceptance for one's own humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, So you have compassion at the same time you're holding yourself accountable.
0: Yeah. Right. As opposed to um, being a victim and blaming the other and hating the other, which is really toxic and very, very self-injurious.
1: It will make you sick.
0: Yeah, it does. And I've seen it all the time because we work with partners here that have been egregiously betrayed, you know, multiple times over years. Um, and you know women get very very stuck in staying because of the financial piece that you talk about and because their self-esteem has gotten so um, sanded down over the years it, really. um, you know with the lies and the gaslighting that goes on and so it's very difficult you know one of the things we try to do here is move women towards empowerment um, and taking that which has happened, you know, sort of simplistically making lemonade out of lemons, but it's hard with women that have been in marriages for 40 years, 20 years, mm-hmm. um, because that's there's a lot of grief in that, don't you think? There is a
1: tremendous amount of grief. There you know,
0: is. loss of one's life, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and to, to wake up to how much it costs. Us to mm-hmm. behave in these ways. Mm. It's no small matter.
0: Right. So, based on what you're saying or what I'm hearing, is that you're asking people to really take responsibility for whatever's happened and put it squarely on their shoulders um, so that they're not a victim, they're more of a victor.
1: Well, I like that victor image. Um, Yes, and it doesn't let the other person off the hook. I mean, right. if, if you were with somebody who was gaslighting you, it's mm-hmm. a pretty serious offense. So it's not making light of, course. of, of, the, of what people have done. But the, the pathway to liberation and freedom where you can trust yourself to never do it again is always going to be, your, your full focus is on that 3%. Mm. And, and really the truth is, is that if you've been in a relationship like that for a while, you have your hands full with that three percent. Like, yeah. there's a lot to think about. So, so the third step it kind of organically moves us through the process where, where we are now. So now we're in con. We're now we're looking at consciousness. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, who was I being in that relationship? Mm-hmm. What What was that triggering in me that allowed me to accept so little and settle for so much less than I deserve? And of course, uh, you know, if if it's the other person who left, it's going to be right up there as as a, a an interpretation of that experience, which is I'm not good enough, or I'm not worthy, um, you know, I'm unwanted. These are these are the stories that we live with on that right. unconscious level. And we're not walking around all the time like that, uh-huh. but in any kind of uh, difficult moment in a relationship. Um, certainly in a breakup, but really even in the day-to-day disappointments, very often we'll go into that story. Mm-hmm. And the story lives in our body, it happens in a breath outside of conscious awareness, I don't need to tell you yeah. this, but but in a breakup what happens is you have the normal grief of losing someone, and, and, and all the things associated with that relationship, the holidays, the routines, the home you lived in, all, all the things that you counted on and called your life. Mm-hmm. And and so you you can't usurp that. We're always gonna be sad to lose people. Even if they were not great relationships, we'll still feel sad because yeah. we're we're just tender that way. Right. Um, unless you're the one who left and that means you've been rehearsing for a long time and building your identity out <laughs> right. outside. But but initially you felt sad even. Yeah. Grieving while you were there. Well, right, right, right. Um but but where people really struggle in a breakup is, is the insult that it is to one's identity. And the horror of going from someone who was the chosen one, mm-hmm. who was the special one, right. to being now discarded, uh, and then there's a new special one on someone's arm, right. and who does that make me? Well, I'm nobody, I'm yeah. nothing,
0: I'm Isn't not. Isn't that interesting stable. how that collapses us so profoundly? It collapses us. That's a great word. Yeah. I mean, the the rejection and the abandonment and... Um, then the story that ensues about I'm yeah. defective or old or wrong or not good enough yeah. is just really it's, devastating. And
1: people can stay stuck in the story for years. Sure. So, so um, so I call that your source fracture wound because then it, we track back that. The first time you ever felt that. So say that again, your source fracture wound? Your source, the original breaking Okay. Part. Because however one interprets the breakup, it's not the new story, right? So some people are going to interpret it like oh, see, I'm alone again. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to interpret it like I'm inferior. There's something really wrong with me. Right. And some people are going to interpret it like it's not safe to love. So we all have our own interpretive mm-hmm. lens, the same event, right. but it's being internalized in some other way. So we track back that story, right? and we can usually find the roots of it in something that happened mm-hmm. in childhood. Of yeah. right? So it's the default story, and yeah. that's what I call the source fracture story. I see. So the wonderful thing about being broken open Mm -hmm. and being completely without any defense and also like the universe pushing on you with all of its might because there's no escape from this pain that you're in and the trauma of it um, is is that you really can begin to um, go back to the source of that story and where that story first took root and even begin to see how inside of the consciousness of the story that you unconsciously showed up that even set this situation up to be what it is. Of course, yeah. Right, so now we're really in the graduate program of how are you the source of your experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is really hard for people that have been betrayed to hear. Uh, Because they're so traumatized, they have acute stress symptoms or PTSD symptoms, um, and so they don't want to hear that they had anything to do with this whatsoever. So in the early stages, um, they can't hear that at all, but I think people that do get better and healthy over time are willing to look at this.
1: Well, and that's the dangling carrot. I I just have to say, look, come over here. This is where I think we're just, you know, just we're enrollment cheerleaders. Let me enroll you in your (laughs) life. right? Let me tell you about the possibilities of your life on the other side of this, If
0: you're willing to see it. (laughs) Um, I want to go back to something, though, because I'm really curious about what happens that we fall asleep in these relationships, because you're talking about social construction and means and all of these cultural forces that make up this idea of monogamy and what it is and marriage and then we get into these happily ever after stories and then reality sets in and time and everybody's so beleaguered with you know time and making money and working and um, or if they're in a relationship where their husband is making lots of money which you know, a lot of women love that lifestyle, but they're angry that the husband's not around, which is the bind you were speaking right, of. Yeah. But what happens that we just kind of fall asleep and then wake up miserable or somebody's cheating?
1: Well, I think, I think we, we kind of shut down truth because we turn away from truth-telling because mm-hmm. we're so afraid to kind of rock the boat. We don't want anything to fall apart. And then you just get further and further away from yourself and from each other. And, 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 and um, I think it happens all the time. I think it's probably more common than people who actually Completely. have a live,
0: yes. truth,
1: true engagement mm-hmm. happening.
0: So really then it's the irony of that is that the, the paradox, or it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, I don't want to rock the boat because I don't want to create problems in my marriage, so I'll say nothing. And I do this for 5, 10, 15, 25 years, and then at 25 years, the boat is falling apart because yeah, I didn't want then, to rock and it. And
1: then the other person like leaves you for somebody who is really rocking the boat. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> There's a like, radical aliveness yes. happening. Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> Right, so this um, really risking vulnerability and truth-telling.
1: Yeah, so I think it happens when there's children, too. You want stability for children. Right. I mean, in a way, stability is the enemy of truth.
0: I think it is, <laughs> yeah. Know?
1: it's like, really, right. you have to really be careful of that one. You
0: know, Alan Watts wrote a book called The Wisdom of Insecurity, uh. in 1958, and it's one of my favorite all-time books, and it's a little book, right? Yeah. It's like that big, but yeah. he talks about this very thing, this notion of you know, security, that we're always grasping for security, and what a mirage that actually is. Yeah. So I can see where, yeah, that is the thing that, you know, one of the illusions that we get caught up into. Well,
1: you begin to make, maybe, truth your security.
0: Ah, You yeah. trust
1: life to that extent, mm-hmm. you know. You stay married to truth and authenticity. And right. But that, yeah, that's that a is, practice. That is a practice,
0: <laughs> I think it is, yeah. yeah. Like, what is really true for me today you know, in this body at this age and this relationship, um, even though you know, maybe I married that person 25 years ago, yeah. and are we staying current with each other along the way? Yeah. And I think that's where people get scared and where the, the lies and the deceit well, start.
1: And people are creating new models of marriage because I know. of this. Yeah. It's really exciting the so, creativity that's happening. So, what
0: do you think about that? About the new monogamy, as Tammy Nelson writes?
1: Well, I think. You- Tammy is talking about being inclusive of other partners. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't really take a position on how people want to explore their lives. Right. My big thing is just being integrity with each other. Mm-hmm. That's my big thing. Yeah. Well, I as think long that's as the, the agreements answer. are clear, then uh-huh. you know whatever you're gonna, whatever stage you're gonna go through, or however you're gonna do it, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for it. I don't know that I personally would be comfortable with that, but who right. knows? I mean, yeah. you know.
0: Well, I think that's the thing the secrets and the lies and the deceit are what get people into trouble. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be infidelity, yeah. it can just be about how I'm changing or growing or what my sexual uh, interests are now, but I'm not telling you because I don't want you to freak you out. Um, so just anything, because it's like a pebble in your shoe yeah. that eventually becomes so profoundly uncomfortable. So
1: there's two ways to work on that as a practice, right? One is, one is having the courage to tell the truth, which mm-hmm. is not easy for us most right. of the time. Because um, uh, we are a, a temporary society and we don't have a lot of safety mm-hmm. in the relational field. You know, I, I think if you, if you, if you deconstruct um, Japanese language, uh, if somebody in, in Japan goes to tell you, I, mean, I would say, Alex, your friend is really mad at you right now, right? In America, we just say, Alex, I am really mad at you. Right. And the moment I say just, Alex, I'm mad at you, there's yeah. anxiety. Right, like, sure. oh, no, she, how mad is she? Right. Is she going to leave? Right. But if I say to you, your friend is really mad at you, it just creates this container. Like, we're safe. <laughs> right. It's safe to be mad. So I think, you know, creating that kind of safety for telling the truth, mm-hmm. which means, that we also the second practice is to be open to hearing truth.
0: Yeah, right.
1: To invite people to tell the truth mm-hmm. and to not be reactive. Or if you are being reactive, to say, "Wow, I'm really getting reactive here," sure. and not just lash out and act out your reactivity.
0: Yeah, because the noticing of the reactivity is really a noticing in the autonomic nervous system that I'm getting hyper aroused here getting scared my heart's beating faster my palms are sweating oh that's so interesting and is what i'm feeling right now proportionate to what you're saying or is it historical as you're you're Uh, saying um because it's very hard for me to hear confrontation or a confrontation from a female because perhaps I had an angry mother. Um, So this does require, as you're talking about it, just an unbelievable commitment to self-awareness.
1: Well, I'm aware that good relationships both uh, take both internal development and then the external Mm skill-building of relationships. And a lot of us are focused on the external, when he says this, then I say that, you know, those kind of external things. But you have to have a lot of internal development, too, which is, it sounds a little intimidating to people, but it's basically self-awareness practices. What am I feeling right now? What do I need right now? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, where is it in my body? What am I assuming is true? Right. What might be more true? This this is the you know developing. the inquiry, yeah.
0: And is that kind of inquiry in one of your books, or is this the kind in of work? both
1: of them extensively and very very much in conscious uncoupling. I mean, we're talking kind of about the third step, which is looking at your consciousness, mm-hmm. and then once you see, oh, I'm I'm interpreting this as the I'm not wanted or I'm all alone Mm. and and, and if you really start to deconstruct how did I create such aloneness in my marriage how did I spend 20 years Mm. with this person I don't even feel like I know now and I can't believe he's behaving this way well you know it starts probably with you where when you did know certain things or you sensed things you turned away from your own knowing so essentially left Mm. yourself alone
0: Ah, uh, yeah. Right. So I so abandon myself. I
1: abandon myself. Right. It happens first internally. And then if you're always avoiding conflict and you're just people pleasing, mm-hmm. there's only really one of you in the relationship. I guess that's So essentially, true, right? you're leaving your partner alone. Mm hmm. Right. They don't have somebody to bounce things off. There's not an authentic person there engaging mm-hmm. things. And now we all know the Gottman study that says, yeah. you know, relationships really bond through conflict. Right. And and, and how you how you resolve the conflict and how you engage yeah. that and then resolve it exactly. So so we really are the source of our own experience in a way that's actually pretty predictable. I've done a lot of charting that out, and I, I really see. see that. But I don't do it in a way. I do it in a very simple elegant way because what I'm looking to give access to is for people to go back to that original story like I'm alone mm-hmm. that they created because they were a latchkey kid or something right. they were, Their parents were divorced and their mother was stressed and working and they were just kind of on their own sure and and um, and challenge the story is that really true? Mm. Like did, were you born to be alone really? Right. Well no I came here to love and to be loved and and I have the power to learn some relationship skills are going to allow me to to do that Mm. better. So we wake ourselves up, and then there's new ways of relating that would have us create a different experience. You know, this whole thing about we repeat patterns because we're trying to heal, I'm sure that that's true on some level. Right. But I actually think we're repeating patterns because we don't we lack the development to do anything different.
0: I think that's more accurate. I, I mean, because so. the one is sort of an older Freudian notion of trauma repetition. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that people really want to keep repeating the same thing to try to fix it. Well,
1: it never feels like a healing it isn't. experience. It It feels like it's you're banging your head experience. against a wall. Right. It's really painful.
0: I do think it's about rewiring the brain. Um, and learning new uh, ways of being, new neural pathways. Well, so let's and, give,
1: let's give let's use an, an, an example, so we're talking about new conflict, right? Mm-hmm. So people turning away from conflict, because if you have a, a core belief that you're alone, you also have a corresponding belief about what you can expect from others, which is generally, they're not going to be there for you and they're going to leave.
0: Right.
1: Right, that's the concept, that's the part of that matrix and that consciousness. And so, you know, you turn away from conflict because conflict looks like the beginning of the end. Mm. Oh my gosh, they're going to leave now, right. right? So you turn away. You become very codependent instead. You give and give and give in, give in. Mm-hmm. and um, and and basically, so when it looks like, is you wake up to, well, I never was alone, mm. and I'm not alone right now, and I came here to love and be loved, and I have the power to reach out and connect right now, and so the new way of being is going to be to learn how to turn towards engagement as opposed to turn towards uh, self-protective right. activities, right? You're going to choose to reach out, you're going to learn how to talk in those, what is it, Gottman says, 30 seconds, the first 30 seconds will determine how the
0: fight goes, right? Right. right. <laughs> you can say, sweetheart, I'm upset. Right, but not shaming and blaming is a big part mm-hmm. of that.
1: Right, exactly, so
0: these, these skill-building
1: things, but if you understand like how you've been tap dancing around the false beliefs and compensating Mm -hmm. for them as opposed to really growing your capacity to be in a healthy relationship, you can graduate. You really can graduate. I really know Mm -hmm. that there's a place that we can get to where your life is not run by patterns anymore. And and what you used to do, that pattern of being with narcissists or cheaters or abusers or... You know, all of those things, you really can outgrow them and have a happy, healthy, good relationship, that's what we're both dedicated yeah. to. And I
0: think that's true because one of the things we know from the attachment literature is some, the thing that will change your attachment strategy faster than anything is a securely attached love relationship.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so when we get activated, we have somebody there to help regulate us or help soothe us, um, and we start to look at our own patterns and use each other in effective ways which is what I think relationships are about is you know healing um, and learning about ourselves um, as opposed to enacting these old childish and childhood patterns over and over again. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Um, so then what would you say is um, sort of the happiest story you've ever s- s- um, seen when you talk about five steps to living happily ever after?
1: Well, I think I'm a poster child. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll do a little up. Sure. Um, so, when Mark and I aligned on that intention mm-hmm. to create a happy post-divorce family, um, he actually began it immediately when we went into uh, mediation, and he surprised the mediator and I, because um, my book royalties from Calling You the One mm-hmm. were on the table. And he was entitled to royalties. I wrote it in the marriage. Right. So, uh, but he he just looked up at us and he said, I don't want any of Catherine's royalties. She mm-hmm. just worked so hard to write mm-hmm. that book. It was a real beautiful, heartwarming moment. Sure. And then a few months later, I he, I, I, he we moved him into an apartment. I gifted him things to furnish his apartment. I, wanted, I helped him to move in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few months later, Later, he got um, fired from his job. Oh, wow. And my first thought was, oh, no, I hope he can pay his rent. And then, of course, my second thought was, oh, no, I hope he can give me money for our daughter. Oh, yeah, right. So I kind of went into a panic about it. And, uh, and I wrestled with myself, you know, because I could have said, kind of like, you know, really put pressure on sure. him. I, I need you to really take this seriously. Maybe, you know, go drive a lift or right. or something yeah. and you need to figure, figure that out, out. Um, but I, I really thought about it and I thought you know there are probably a hundred ways I could generate more money mm-hmm. but there's only one father my daughter's ever going to have mm. so I called him and I said don't worry about giving us any child support while you're going through this right. and it took me a couple months to figure out how to recreate that income. Now I'm an entrepreneur, so yeah. I could do that. Right. You know, it was still stressful for me, but it was the right decision. Uh-huh. Because it's like this one moment at a time, mm. just building this yeah. culture of right. generosity sure. and kindness and teamwork. Right. You know, we, we know that when we're in a marriage, we have to put money in the emotional bank again. Yeah. We have to constantly keep ourselves full and compliment each other and do thoughtful things and bring gifts or whatever we do. to to build that relationship, but we have to actually build a new relationship post-divorce also. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a gorgeous example on both sides, it's so kind, so considerate, Mm -hmm. Um, and again, just exemplifying this place of not being a victim, like, oh, you know, you lost your job, and poor me, and how are you going to pay for this, as opposed to, what am I going to do here? To support this family, because if you were married and he lost his job, you'd still you would step up in that way, right?
1: Exactly. I would have done it if we were married. Right. That's right. So, so, if you're still a unit, mm-hmm. we're still co-parents. We're in this together. Right. Um, then that was that. So that's great. I hadn't thought about that, but that is so true.
0: So I would think that a lot of the principles and um, in calling in the one could be sort of extracted and just be a book about right living. I think so.
1: Right. I mean, with calling in the one, actually, people have uh, used it for for uh, training spiritual practitioners. It's, I see. It's been required. Oh, right? that's
0: interesting, right? <laughs> for that reason. Uh, but yeah, that um, even if you're not going through a breakup or a divorce, yeah. just reading conscious uncoupling is a good idea. Well, a
1: lot of people who are married read conscious mm. uncoupling because, um,
0: and and by the way, that was for
1: calling in what you said, calling in the one. So I'm that sorry. Was yeah, no, it's okay. But um, but conscious uncoupling, a lot of people who are married and they're in that should I stay, should I not go through it and
0: and I've heard that it
1: has saved relationships. I would imagine because
0: of this dedication to the truth.
1: Yes exactly and also generosity so that's step four now, becoming a love alchemist. Right. So we're building this culture of generosity. Um, We're also clearing the air Mm -hmm. of any festering hurts and resentments mm, all right. and one of the ways that we all try and do that is by explaining why we did what we
0: did all right right <laughs> yeah I've got a good reason for why I did that you're gonna to have to sit and listen to it with
1: yeah and my mother did this yes. and my father and because of this and then I lost my job and you know like all of these mm-hmm. reasons but it doesn't restore trust
0: all right.
1: it doesn't complete it for the other person the only thing that's gonna complete it for the other person is empathetic understanding of the impact on them and an amends to do it differently moving Mm -hmm. forward.
0: Yeah, I see that all the time in couples in recovery from betrayal, um, that the empathy for the impact on the other is crucial to the dynamic changing. Because if the betrayer is defensive in any way, it leaves the betrayed just hanging out to dry and that you don't really get my experience of what you've done. So empathy is, extraordinarily important and then amends being a living breathing daily action towards restoring trust and care as opposed to this kind of one and done I'm sorry I kicked you in the gut I won't do it again exactly. You know how do I know you won't do it again Yeah You know what are you actually doing to make that repair Yeah So similarly you're saying really it's empathy and Amends that makes a difference. Yeah, but you're positioning it with people that are actually leaving each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, but sometimes people, um, sometimes people can't do it together. A lot of people yeah. don't do conscious uncoupling together. Right. Um, so they might never have the chance to come do this. So I, I help people to do things in their imagination. I call it a soul to soul meditation. Nice. So you have the experience in your imagination of the other person really understanding right. and apologizing and you know, making amends to you just so you can have that experience in your body. We're so relational mm-hmm. that a lot of times until other people really get it, we can't let it go. It's it's somehow off. But but we all know intellectually, like that's not gonna happen or it's not even really needed right like, I need to make the amends to myself and move forward from here but
0: also there's something really powerful I think about having that imagination because sort of psychically you're letting that person go but you're also giving them the benefit of the doubt and remembering what you loved about them
1: yeah.
0: because you didn't get together with this person out of hate You fell in love with them, or at least told yourself that you did, so they must have some good qualities.
1: Right. I think that people are are really suffering um, with remembering the good qualities because it's so painful. It's almost unbearable. I Mm think you know, we're back to step one now, right? right? Like bearing the unbearable, Uh the person didn't choose me, and coming to terms with that. There's there's an exercise I give in in step one, because some of the feelings really are that unbearable. Mm -hmm. Which is using uh, the Tunglen process mm. in Buddhism, right? Where you just name the feeling that you're having, you give it a name because we want to do that affect labeling right. as well. Where you naming uh, an emotion that begins to contain it and put, you know, so it becomes more bearable there. Mm-hmm. But you name it like, um, you know, just like the hurt of it, and then you breathe it in instead mm-hmm. of turning away from it. Right. And on the out breath you breathe a prayer, a blessing for yourself and all beings throughout the world right in this very moment who are suffering with this kind of pain, let us be free. Mm -hmm. And there's something about putting it into the collective that now becomes the container
0: for it. Yeah, Yeah, and I like that too because it's also sort of the collective of common humanity that everybody has their suffering, and nobody escapes their suffering, and this is what suffering feels like. And it's okay that I'm feeling it because everybody feels it. So I think that's really normalizing and not alone. Um, Would you say then that, I mean I know when um, people write books, publishers like steps, um, but it sounds like what you're saying is these steps don't always happen in perfect order in these discrete ways. That somebody might get to step three or four and they're circling back around to step one again. Yeah. Does it kind of go like that? Yeah, in a more... yeah,
1: it does. I mean, I, I, I. Um... I train coaches to do this Uh so that they take people through the five steps. And then it's like your toolkit is full. I see. And then you're going to wake up, you know, one morning and be really down in the dumps because you just heard he's got a new girlfriend or something. So you're back to step one. Right. Yeah, you're just getting more tools in your toolkit. You know how to work with it so that you can stay in integrity with yourself and in alignment Mm -hmm. with your own ethics and your spirituality and what you most care about.
0: Yeah, I would think it's a nonlinear process. Yeah. It would be nice if us all... Although, although, the
1: first three steps really are internal, uh-huh. which is, you know, the second two, you're dealing with the other person. Yeah. Um, the other thing, uh, I was saying that Mark and I are the poster children for conscious uncoupling. So we live in the same apartment building.
0: Oh, you do? That's great.
1: And have you for a long time? Yeah, about four years. Oh, that's
0: now. great for your child. Yeah,
1: it's really She's good She's just for got like her. an upstairs
0: downstairs. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. what she does.
1: And we also have... Um, open space in the living room uh-huh. so I can come into his living room mm-hmm. at any time and he can come into mine. Oh, great. So we have really good boundaries mm-hmm. around it and we're very respectful. So there's, right. there's there's a little bit more formality that we've put into the yeah. connection, but we share holidays together. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. We we just we just we we operate still as a family. And I'll tell you why we did this and I know a lot of people you know, would wince at the thought of doing that mm-hmm. with their former partner, but I do think that we are putting too much pressure on our children to be the ones to adjust to divorce. Yeah, my
0: God, what goes on today is just epic. It, it is
1: kind of I epic. I mean, and it's
0: like every other day or two days on and two days off, and it's just maddening.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you, I don't mind the two days on, two days off, I, you know, I but it's the relationship between the parents, because our home is actually our relational field. hmm so if you have parents who have, you know, severed from each other emotionally and there's no no, no emotion there's there's a cold war. They're oh, not yeah. warring but they're a right. cold war. For sure. What basically what you've done is you've you've given that child two families. Mm. We're not friends with each other. Right. And so they—they they, that child has to lose one family to go into the other. So they're always in a state of perpetual loss. Mm-hmm. And there's always a bit of homelessness. They're emotionally homeless because they lost their own right. of the field of their parents' love.
0: That's true.
1: So I just feel like, look, this is never going to be an easy thing for any of us. Mm-hmm. But... <clears throat> It's kind of the responsibility of parenting. I mean, it's not very easy for me to put my daughter through private school either. Right, sure. This is not my favorite thing to yeah. do is write those checks I'm, for private school. Right. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. And when you're sick, it's not my favorite thing to, you know, take medicine that I have to take. Right. So, I mean, there's just things that we just do in life because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So, I, I think conscious uncoupling is is providing this, uh, this road map for the parents to do the work so that the kids don't suffer. I mean, my daughter has issues, but I assure you they have nothing to do with our divorce.
0: Mm, right. You know, about
1: being a teenager in America. If this yeah. point in time. Which
0: is what they should be, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, because what I see is that children are in a bind that they feel guilty for leaving mommy or daddy. That's oh, horrible. Um, you know, if they're going on vacation with one side or the other, the other parent is left home, and they're they're always, they, they start to become enmeshed with one of the parents because they feel responsible for them in some they do. way. They do. I mean, that's one of many configurations that can occur. Yeah, no, it,
1: it's, it's, it's not good, and I yeah. think we minimize it because children aren't, Show, they're not. They're not always showing the symptoms of of the damage that's being right. done. So I think we can just assume mm-hmm. that it's the grown ups' job to to uncouple well.
0: I think that's a great assumption. Of <laughs> all the assumptions to, to have. Yes. On. So then, is there anything else about either one of these books, or your sort of overall um, philosophy, or what you've learned that you haven't shared?
1: Well, I mean, calling it. We didn't really talk about calling it right. one, which which you can do now that if you do. It's funny how cyclical they are. Mm-hmm. I mean. Mm -hmm. Calling in the One came first, and then Conscious Uncoupling. But I actually think Conscious Uncoupling comes before Calling in the One. Because here you are, you're clear, you're open, you're free. And Calling in the One is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Because it's about... Okay, I'm just gonna declare a future that was never gonna happen. It's not predictable from my current life and how things have been going. Right. You know, I'm I'm gonna be engaged by my next birthday. It's just like this wild. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's just hurl some spaghetti on the wall. Right. You yeah. know, like see what that happens. But but then you play that game seriously. It's kind of like saying, okay, I'm gonna run a marathon. Uh-huh. Right. Or I'm gonna just lose 20 pounds. Right. Or, so you play a big game, and then you start to organize your life around that, mm-hmm. and it's not so much about running out to find love, it's about going within and taking mm. responsibilities for the invisible, internal barriers, all the ways you're inconsistent um. with that future fulfilled, like, oh, kind of like my freedom, right. or I have this idea that marriage is a trap, mm-hmm. or, I don't really know if I feel totally worthy to have the relationship I want. So, mm-hmm. you're, so it kind—that's of, the roadmap for kind of ferreting out all right. of those internal barriers, and um, and and it's wild what begins to happen. I mean, it's great. A lot of people actually do manifest love. They from do, it. yeah. But it's also the journey itself is worth taking because mm-hmm. things will open up, and you just grow and you expand and. I mean, I've had people, you know, email me. I went back to graduate school. I adopted right. a child. Yeah. I bought my first house. Like they just get
0: they get expansive, they get is what expansive. you're saying.
1: They get creative.
0: That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah and it's interesting because creativity comes in so many different ways, um, and that certainly is a big way.
1: Yeah, but the tenets of my work, Alex, are really about self responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's in what a I'm way hearing. that liberates us to generate a future that's worthy. Of our lives to really start to live into a positive future, and when you have a setback like conscious uncoupling, to make sure that you're using it wisely and well, Mm -hmm. so that so that you can continue on and have a beautiful life. You know, it's kind of like if you broke your leg, you know that you have to just set it a certain way. You got to. Do certain things because you want to be running
0: again. Right, you have to go through physical therapy, and it's yeah. painful, and you have to follow doctor's orders. But you just
1: kind of do it you do because it. you want to? Be, you're a right. runner. You want to be running again, and if you didn't do it, you'd never run again. Mm-hmm. Like your leg like, would grow crooked. And I right. think that, I think that broken hearts are like that too. Yeah. And that we we do become stronger in the broken places, you know. So. Hmm. That, that's this, That's what that offering is That's about.
0: beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So where can people find you or your coaches? If somebody, let's say, live, sees this and they live in St. Louis or uh, New York, how would they find a coach to work with um, these ideas with?
1: Well, I have my own website, KatherineWoodwardThomas.com, mm-hmm. but if you're um, wanting a starter kit, I have a whole Get Started Now for both of them. So I created a whole kit. Oh, that's great. For you know, get started on your conscious uncoupling today mm-hmm. at consciousuncoupling.com and then calling in the one.com. Is a kit for getting starting on manifesting love.
0: That's great. Yeah. So then it doesn't matter whether there's a therapist or a coach in your neighborhood. Well, they,
1: with all the all the coaches work virtually. So oh, I see. And, and That's fantastic. Yeah, and they have um, they have their uh, their we have coach directories right on CatherineWoodwardThomas dot com.
0: Okay. So and we have call, them throughout the world. So calling dot com, one.com dot and CatherineWoodwardThomas dot com. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much (laughs) for coming by today. I really appreciate it. It's so beautiful to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you.
1: Yeah, thank you (laughs)